Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the third in a series. Today we will be talking about the Nicene Creed. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zentalo, and I serve as the pastor of Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so we're doing a series. We started with an affirmation of faith versus the creed. Mm-hmm. Then we did the Athanasian Creed, <laughs> and now we're rolling on to the Nicene Creed. Yes. Now, how is this different? It's different in that it is a little bit older okay. than the Athanasian Creed. Not longer. No, definitely shorter. This is like the mid-range version of our creeds. But to me, it always seemed like the fancy one. Yeah, because it's used on the fancy occasions. Mm, is that where that association comes mm-hmm. from? Kind All of, right. Yeah. So this is the fancy one that gets used on Easter Sunday mm-hmm. and festival services. We pull this out and it's longer than the one that we normally use, which we'll talk about more in depth next week. We'll talk about the Apostles' Creed next week. Sure. And this one, I think it sounds a little more elegant. You think so? To me. Okay. In my ears. I don't know. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a little more poetic than the Apostles' Creed. But it's still a creed, but it's not wibbly-wobbly, weirdy as the Athanasian. Athanasian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it actually gets used. <laughs> Which the Athanasian, as we know, does, does not. not. Exactly. So we have this. But the Nicene Creed also begins to get into the stuff that was going on with Arius and Athanasius that we talked about last week. Okay. And where we were talking about how Arius thought that Jesus was fully human. So the Nicene Creed comes along and starts to address that Trinitarian nature, starts to address the deity, the God within Jesus. And that is not addressed in the Apostles' Creed, which is even older than the Nicene Creed. Okay. So this is the first kind of response to this Arius guy who was a bishop in the early church. Okay. So did one person write it or is it by committee? Great question. To our knowledge, this was written at the First Council of Nicaea. Okay. Hence the name. Hence the name. And the First Council of Nicaea happened in 325 Common Era. Mm -hmm. So quite a ways after the time of Christ, but still, you know, within the first 500 years of the church existing. 318 bishops we believe, participated in the First Council of Nicaea. That's a lot. Yeah. And then, so another like 60 some odd years later, in 381, we have the Second Ecumenical Council that was held. And at that one, there were only 150 bishops that were present. But what happened is the beginning structure of the Nicene Creed was created in that 325 common era, First Council of Nicaea. Okay. And then 60 some years later, thereabouts, They gathered again a smaller group, and they added a little bit. They tweaked it a little bit. Okay. And that's the creed that we continue to use now. Okay. So they started in the first council and had their basic, this part talks about God, this part Mm -hmm. talks about Jesus, this part talks about the Holy Spirit. And they didn't have very much about the Holy Spirit. Or communion Nobody or forgiveness. Nobody ever has anything much about the Holy Spirit. It's the one... It's the loosey-goosey part. It is. But the part that was kind of added and tweaked more so in 381 
in the second ecumenical council is the ending of the creed. Okay. And the last section about the Holy Spirit and speaking through the prophets and one holy Catholic and apostolic church, one baptism for forgiveness of sin. We look for the resurrection of the life and the world to come. That stuff was all the next edition okay. added in at the end of that century. Why did they think it was necessary? Do you know? For the creed itself or for adding stuff in? or the adding of the stuff in. Probably a lot of these things are always in response to what are the questions and what are the problems coming up within the community? Why do you change your bylaws in any organization? Okay. You change them because arguments have come up and you want clarity around what we do and what we don't believe or what we do or what we don't stand for. Okay. And if we think of the creed as that opportunity to say, okay, this is what we are agreeing to. And this was like... A whole entire region sure. was dealing with this. And the early, early years were years of persecution and the church being hidden. And then it became legal. It became a state religion and accepted. And so mm-hmm. they had to say, okay, well, we're not just a whole bunch of little groups now. We're going to say, what is the acceptable version of this? Okay. And when you're starting to say what an acceptable version of something is, you start writing stuff down. Yeah. And making sure that this is what we really mean. And then you might go back. 20, 30, 40 years later and be like, okay, we need a little more clarity on this. Yeah. And consensus among that many people sounds very hard. Especially across a region. Yeah. In the time, we're not talking cell phones and motor vehicles. No. Right. We're talking 385 common era. (laughs) Yeah. Motor hasn't been invented yet. So a large geographic region for the time and... Needing to be able to say, okay, we acknowledge one baptism sure, for the forgiveness of sin. There are still people today who argue about, about that one? one baptism. Oh, my. And that's one of the differences that then you have in the modern era between creedal churches and non-creedal churches within Christianity. Because there are many flavors of Christians who believe that you need to be rebaptized, Okay. Right? Or, or accept rebaptism as a thing. Whereas creedal churches, because we say this, we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Okay. We don't believe in rebaptism. Once is enough. Now you can affirm your baptism as many times as you want, but you don't ever have to be rebaptized. Okay. And that comes from out of the kinds of conversations and the things that were happening in these first centuries. Now, You said last time that the Athanasian Creed was not printed anywhere in any of the service hymnals, but this one is. Is it right next to the Apostles' Creed? Is it you do one or the other, or is it something that shows up a different way? Good question. So the Athanasian was in our LBW, but it's not in our current hymnal. So if there are Lutheran congregations out there who still have green hymnals in their pews, they they still have the Athanasian Creed handy on a Sunday morning. But if they've got the Cranberry Hymnal, out of luck. Guess you have to look it up on your cell phone then. But we do have the Nicene in the current Cranberry Colored Hymnal. And I think last week I said something like the creeds are around page 94. Uh-huh. I was wrong on that. Okay. Page 94 is setting one. Okay. That's where you'll find the confessions. But the creeds are on pages 104 and 105 in our hymnal, which is also a part of setting one. Setting one, they put everything in there, and then the other settings, they just refer you back to these pages. Okay, so it's the main setting. Well, it's just a setting, but they didn't reprint the creeds or the confession into every single one of the 10 settings they offered us. To my logical mind, that makes it the main (laughs) setting. Fair. 
104 and 105 is in our current hymnal where we find the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed printed. Oftentimes, we just print it in our bulletin. Okay. Especially if we have, you know, most everything in the bulletin. We don't have people flip back and forth in the hymnal because it can get confusing for guests and visitors. And it's easier to just put it in the bulletin. So that's where you'll find it printed. You'll either find it in your bulletin or you'll get referred to these pages. And on page 104, what you'll see is the rubric on the top of the page, which is the little tiny red print. Okay. And it actually says, the Nicene Creed is appropriate during Advent, Christmas, Easter, and on festival days. The Apostles' Creed during Lent and at other times. Oh, interesting. So the big long green season, ordinary time, Mm -hmm. Apostles' Creed all the way. Really? Yeah. So Are we, you going to get in trouble for using the Nicene Creed on a non-high holy day? No. Okay. I have never experienced the creedal police. <laughs> Good maybe, to know. Maybe they exist in other parts of the country, but not a problem here. We primarily use affirmations of faith. Okay. And so as we explained in the first podcast, those are the opportunity to say words of faith in more modern and contemporary language. Okay. And that's more often what we have used within this particular congregation. Now, I'm going to point something out, which I can only say comes from having done this podcast for the years that we have. I find it fascinating that they're calling out the Nicene Creed for Advent, but the Apostles' Creed for Lent. When aren't they similar in terms of periods of waiting and whatnot? Yeah, I don't get that. I actually have not been able to figure out what the logic behind that is. Because to me, the Nicene Creed... I don't know. Yeah. I haven't been able to quite figure out why that is. And for some things, I can catch like a reminder reason as to why something is. So like lighting the Christ candle. You light the Christ candle whenever resurrection is proclaimed. That is proclaimed at the pulpit through the Easter season. So it's always lit. It's proclaimed through the baptismal font at baptisms and funerals. So that's when that is lit and that's where it abides. That's where you put the candle. So I can find a reason for that liturgically. I still have not come to a grasp as to what the real liturgical reason is to think that the Nicene Creed is more fitting for festivals than the apostles for other times. And why Lent is suddenly not considered the same as Advent. It's odd and bizarre. Okay. So it's a mystery. At least me. Do you switch them up one season or the other? I do. Okay. A lot of the time, I mean, this isn't theologically, there are many folks out there who may not like hearing this. I think oftentimes I look at the length of the service that we have. Oh, that's fair. And say, do we have the space and the energy to do this one here? Or I check and see kind of how the timbre of the feel of the season has been or how the folks who are attending have been receiving anything that's more formal. Yeah, the one is markedly longer. Oh, yeah. Nicene Creed's definitely longer. Mm -hmm. Like I pulled it out on Easter and I love it, but It definitely, it takes time and it definitely upped the formality of the service. Sure. It totally does. And so if the rest of the service is really much more informal, then it can feel jolty Mm -hmm. to suddenly get in. So some of it is context. And in the same way, I'm never going to totally abandon these Mm -hmm. in any context I serve because these creeds link us back to the people who helped to develop our faith and have linked us all the way through centuries. And so I'm not going to abandon our roots for words that are more comfortable for my current people. Mm -hmm. We need to be a little uncomfortable sometimes with the things that we're saying. That's totally okay. It makes us wrestle with our faith. 
So I will still keep these in the rotation. Excellent. So do you happen to know if the language changes within the creed itself between denominations or translations? We had talked about translations of the Bible being markedly different. Yeah, there's slight differentiations, little bits and pieces here and there that are a little bit different across the translations. And this holds true into the Apostles' Creed as well. And it's enough to maybe trip you up if you're more accustomed to one than the other. Okay. So it's worth paying attention to. But I think what is more fascinating around that question is that the Nicene Creed of all of these three creeds that we profess in the Lutheran Church is the one that is the most used ecumenically. Okay. This is even used in the Orthodox Church. So Roman Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant. Mm Mm-hmm. We all share the Nicene Creed. That's not the same with the Apostles and the Athanasian. Oh, interesting. I never quite paid attention. I know in my head there's the more formal version and then a less formal version, but I never went between the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church to seek out any specific differences. Yeah. And so the the language of the translation of whether you say he died and was buried, or Mm -hmm. he died and descended into hell. Those little, tiny, little differences. Mm -hmm. That's translatory. Is that a word? Yeah. And that's partly (laughs) why I have to read it whenever it's written. Yeah. Just to make sure. Because it changes from what I remember. Yeah. Little bits and pieces here and there. And as far as using it goes, the Nicene Creed is the most used creed across Christendom. Okay which I think is a fascinating piece. It is. Coming out of that Council of Nicaea and the Ecumenical Council, I think they were able to create something that spoke to not just the story of who God and Jesus are, but also proclaimed the Trinitarian nature that Christianity holds, which was unique in its understanding at the time, and then giving this kind of basis in our practices as well at the end so that ecumenical council was able to create this piece that spoke across large groups. Which is pretty remarkable given when it was written and how long it's lasted. Absolutely remarkable. Totally. All right. That's going to lead me to my last question of, do you have it memorized <laughs> at this point in time? I-ish. Yeah. Ish. But I know I memorized it when I was going through catechism sure. myself, but because of those little things, it's mm-hmm. when is it descended into the dead and when is it descended into hell? Mm-hmm. But when I got to say hell in church, it was pretty cool. <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. But I'll still read it word for word. Yeah. I forget who it was. It was. It might have been in one of my liturgical classes, like uh-huh. where they teach you how to lead the liturgy uh-huh. and tell you things like, keep your arms level with one another and don't face your palms up or out or down or weird. One of those kind of classes. I think one of the teachers said, it's okay to always read the words hmm. because there's going to be some week where your brain is exhausted and not present and you would bugger it up. Mm-hmm. There may be some weeks, so and no matter how much, if you do have it memorized, it's okay to read it. Oh, sure. And that also offers you the opportunity to try and re-engage it in a very embodied way. So use your eyes, use your mouth as you speak it, use your hands holding the book, and really encounter the creed or encounter the Lord's Prayer, these things that we say every week, by letting yourself go ahead and read it out. And don't be ashamed if you don't have it memorized. It's totally okay to just know it and still read it. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the Nicene Creed. I look forward to sitting down with you next week. 
on the Apostles' Creed. Indeed, as do I. And thank you for listening along. I hope that this is somewhat interesting to you. If you have thoughts or experiences with the Nicene Creed that you'd like to share with us, please come visit us on Facebook, leave us a message, or send us an email at podcast at centralportland.org. We would love to hear from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.